Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Thank you, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Adam is, um, as um, those of you who have been listening and watching these webinars for a little while, um, very experienced on information governance and is a very helpful um, friend and expert that we work with often um, for this topic and can answer lots and lots of questions that we can't. And is often the person we go to um, when you give us a question, we just say, we're not, we're not really very sure about this. So I think data opt-out is what we're talking about today, Adam. Um, and we're very much looking forward to hearing your um hearing your wisdom on it. Did you, are you sharing any slides? Did you want me to uh, uh, No, no slides no, prepared no, at this stage. Fine. And we yeah. can have quite a sort of open, unstructured discussion, which is another word for saying I haven't done any preparation for any great degree, but obviously it's something I do encounter pretty much daily. Um, so I think the question came, we don't actually know what it is. So if you can tell us what it is, that would be really helpful and we'll carry on from there. Okay. I mean, under the heading of, of data opt-outs, we can probably see a number of different things and it's probably worth me just sort of clarifying which each one of them is um, and I'm always conscious when we do this that I sit here as someone who thinks he knows what he's talking about hopefully to a reasonable degree explaining it to you guys who've got to explain it to the patients um, and I don't don't begrudge you that task at all because it's hard enough for any of us to understand that then the poor old patient um, we have a number of opt-outs then for really across the health and care system um, you'll be familiar with some of these terms no doubt but if I just sort of cover the whole of them if we look at the use of data beyond the care of the individual um, so things that are not related to the person's care then effectively there are two opt-outs there always have been and that even though there was a drive to effectively make one opt-out out of them that's never really quite come to fruition so you'll be familiar probably with the terms of a type one opt opt-out and what used to be a type two opt-out. Um, the type two opt-outs are the ones that became the national data opt-out. Difference between the type one and the type two is the type one is the idea is that data never leaves the practice. So if a patient doesn't want their data to leave the practice for anything other than their direct care, then they will need a type one opt-out on the practice system. And that's a particular code um, through EMIS or SNOMED or whichever coding system you've got, etc. Um, I don't have the codes to hand, but there are plenty of examples of what they are and the idea being if that if the patient is therefore putting that in place their data doesn't leave the practice for anything other than a direct care summary care record or shared care record example where that is a direct care activity the national data opt-out is similar but the data leaves the practice and goes up to the national teams like nhs digital or nhs transformation director and they're now now technically part of and the idea then being that obviously they retain the the national register of patients who register on the national data opt-out um, and this is the one you can find under the sort of website like your NHS Data Matters, for example. Um, that's a public website where they can make that registration. That data is all held centrally. And the idea is all the systems and services that potentially want to use data of patients for activities that are not direct care related again, need to link their systems in to that register. And so when they are looking to use data for something that is within the scope of secondary uses, and I'll talk about that in just a second, they need to link in with the national data opt-out and identify which patients have got a national data opt-out and therefore not include those patients in the analysis work they then do. Just for a few figures, um, I believe it's about, it's either five to six percent or five, no, yes, no, it's, it, I can't remember the exact figures. It's, it's a few million individuals. They've got a national data opt-out. There is a page you can go and you can actually see the numbers. The last update was in April. Um, Unsurprisingly, when the GP data for planning research situation, if I call it that, was a um, hot topic probably a year or so ago now, coming up to a year or so ago now, it moved from being a few, th or a few tens of thousands of opt-outs to being over a million over a period of a couple of weeks. So that, that shows when that sort of headline hits the news 
rightly or wrongly, about the, the sort of stories that come through that, obviously with a lot of truth, but also some some tabloidism, should we put it that way, on in there as well, that has resulted in a lot of people opting out of, of their care, sorry, of their records being used for things beyond their care, um, which is their option. It's the option the NHS has chosen to give them. But when you start to think that's 5 to 6% of the population, potentially, that obviously has a bit of an impact on any analytics we want to do, um, particularly if they are individuals in more specific cohorts, perhaps more digitally enabled amongst us, um, rather than obviously individuals who don't have that that sort of facility. Um, so that's the national data opt-out. What that technically applies to, to, to get a little bit naughty about it, it applies to uses of what they term confidential patient information beyond the direct care of the patient. Now, it's, it's crucial to remember that and notify that on the basis that data that is anonymized or strongly pseudonymized is not in that definition of confidential patient information. The definition is a legal one, actually. It's in one of the Health and Social Care Acts. I can't remember which one off the top of my head, probably 2006. Oh, well, that might be NHS Act 2006. But it's basically data that is identifiable or likely identifiable to the recipient. Um, so if NHS number is included, for example, and shared around a lot of organizations, then even if you haven't got the name and address, for example, a lot of organizations can decode the NHS numbers. You can argue that actually data with the NHS number in, in to a degree is probably confidential patient information and many tens of thousands of staff potentially could re-identify it. If the NHS number was pseudonymized through a technique to a different number that people can't reverse, you start to move out of that definition of confidential patient information. Um, but bottom line, anything that's identifiable or identifies the patient would be potentially subject to a national data opt-out and organisations have to build their systems to link into that by the end of June, I think is the latest version. It could be July, I can't remember. No, it's July, sorry. COPE is the end of June. July is, is the national data opt-out. That's been delayed a number of times over the, the COVID situation, um, partly because organisations haven't had the time, partly because it does impact on some of the abilities under the COPE regulations to process data for the COVID pandemic. And so that's the, the national data opt-out. And the idea eventually is that the type ones that, within the practice systems will be translated into some form of opt-out that's linked in with the national data opt-out as well, so that it's simplified for the patient. I don't quite technically know how they're going to do that, um, but greater minds than mine are thinking about the sort of system basis of doing that in due course, but we don't know any any further updates. The other opt-outs people potentially have, and this is where we may, may turn them slightly differently rather than opt-outs, but to be objections, relate to sharing for direct care. Um, the position on that basis is there's obviously the National Summary Care Record and patients since that has been put in place 10 plus years ago now have always had the option to effectively opt out is the term they use, but actually it's, it's using a data protection right to object to the processing. So people can refuse to have a National Summary Care Record. Um, and I think changes that were made under the COVID copy regulations to add the additional information in, we don't quite know yet whether they are going to carry on in that way because they basically added the additional information to each record in previous terms that you had to consent to have the additional information added to your summary care record. But that was changed in the COVID situation. I don't know if it's going to go back to the old way of, of working. Um, I can see reasons why it should. I can also see reasons why it's beneficial not to, um, but we haven't heard the latest on that one. And the other sort of objection and opt-out is to a lot of these local shared care records that are now in place. Obviously, in Wessex, you've had chai in, in some areas for quite a while. You've got other ones around this for edges. They've always had the option of a patient objecting, is, is, is the legally technically correct term to the data being used in a shared care record, which quite a few of those shared care records, child, daughter care record, for example, as long as the individual understands the impact of their choice by objecting to say, I don't want to have my data in the shared care record. And, and the fact in this case, that might affect their care. 
Um, and then it's then taken that actually if the individual is sure that is what they want, understands it does have an impact on the effectiveness and quality of care. Again, they can be opted out and quite a few people are opted out of both of those sort of systems. Um, but obviously it's it's less advisory as a choice perhaps than obviously the, the more pure, freer choice about I don't want my data used for research or planning or or whatever in its identifiable form. Um, patients technically can't stop us using the data that's been anonymized in those sort of forms, but obviously there are ways and means by which anonymization is taking forward as well. So that consciously gets more and more complex the more and more we talk about it, but that's sort of the whistle-stop tour through the position at this point in time. Um, in your systems, if you look at any of them, there's a whole load of different codes in there that, that apply in different circumstances, some of which we hope would effectively sort of reduce because it's, there should only really be a code in your system about type 1 opt-outs, a code in your system about the summary care record, and a code in your system about perhaps a local shared care record. But I know there's about four or five other things that have grown up over time just to make it a little bit more confusing. Um, it is confusing, isn't it? Thank you, Adam. That's really helpful. So I think the sort of the the question is sort of what do we need to do now? So the practice managers are thinking, what do I need to do with any of this? You've got some questions coming in now. So do we need to contact the patients or change the coding of the records we have who patients who've opted out in the past to keep us compliant? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, it's a good one. It is. Um, it depends, really. I mean, the, the problem with a lot of this is historically that because so many codes have grown up over so many years for different objectives and programs at any point in time, they're not necessarily um, comprehensively used. The I wouldn't imagine, wouldn't advise necessarily that you need to go and do a massive exercise in trawling back and finding which patients have got which opt-out codes and then thinking which ones should they have. Um, but I think what would be useful, and I, I'm, I'm working on it with another shared care record program, and I'm quite happy to share it through the LMC as well, is what are the best codes to use now for opting patients out of things? Um, and so effectively, I say, breaking it down to the three options that would be applied at the practice of the, the type one about the beyond the care, because um, you don't do the national data opt-out. You can tell them where to go to do that, but you wouldn't do it. Um, and the ones around summary care records and shared care records, um, those are the three, I think, really that apply. So, And a lot of the systems have up to a point sort of kind of reacted to whichever codes happen to be in there. I know GraphNet, although it's not in place anymore for um, the systems really within the Wessex area, because obviously Chai is now Orion um, and Dorset is Orion as well and always has been. They're changing their reactions to Coastline. I don't think it really affects you guys. So I, I wouldn't say wholesale you've got to do any review, but it's useful for you to know which codes should be used going forward, particularly if you get any patient queries that come in on, on that basis. Okay. And in the national data opt-out, is it patient-led or practice-led? Do we have how proactive do the patients need to be? Do the practice need to be on this? Um, I would argue it's not really for practices to be that proactive. I think in any of your sort of privacy notices, fair processing information, or, or web pages where you might talk about the use of patient data, absolutely link your page to the national data opt out page as well. Um, I wouldn't put too much explanation about what it is there because that page itself should explain to the patient what it's all about. And the more you might add into that, the more inconsistencies could possibly arise in, in that way. Um, that page, I mean, the, the page they've got on the National Data Archive page is a good page. It's pretty clear. Um, and it does state particularly that this is what it applies to, but it doesn't affect your direct care, for example. So you, if you opt out of your data being used for things that are beyond your direct care, that National Data Archive shouldn't then affect your direct care in any shape or form. So yeah, something you previously noticed, but linked into their, their pages, I think is, is most appropriate at that stage. 
And do we have something, Lisa, I'm just going to bring you in here. Do we have something that a sort of template privacy notice that would be helpful if practices could look at to, to compare with their own? Um, do we have a template for that? So we, so we did, Louise. And I think um, because all practices have a DPO now, we felt that's probably in terms of consistency and everything else, it's probably better for practices to go to their DPOs for that sort of information because that's where the expertise sits. So there are templates, BMA has templates that you can search up, but I think sort of first step we'd probably go say, go and discuss with your DPO. And I think we've taken down quite a bit of that information now that we did have initially. That sounds good advice. Okay, um, Adam, we have had difficulties with opt-out for a patient where they want no contact at all. Opt-out has not worked and they've been contacted by the NHS for national screening, etc. We've been asked by them to not put them on the spine, etc. And we haven't done this, but what do you suggest? Oh, um, I mean, there, what I suggest here is, is potentially you've got a patient here is going beyond really what the sort of main opt-outs are intended to do. Um, I don't obviously know their reasons and whatever for it. I know this has been a typical issue in, in the past for a few individuals, a very small in number, and they've almost opted themselves out of NHS care to some degree. Um, because I think they, <laughs> excuse me, they, they don't have an automatic right of opt-out for things like national screening. They can object to the processing, but under the GDPR side of things where you've got the right as an individual to object how your data is being used, there is a caveat that cuts it out in this respect that might apply. This is if the controller, i.e. the practice or the NHS in general, has compelling legitimate grounds to continue using their data, then obviously we can put that to the individual and we can actually overturn um, their right to object on that basis. It wouldn't advise it to be commonplace done, but if you think about this, the safety of an individual in some of these sort of situations, particularly around screening, etc., then it really becomes a bit of a sort of rock and a hard place circumstance. Um, and they've asked not to be put on the spine. I know in the past that the, the sort of few cases that have gone that far, they've either accepted they have to be on the spine um, or they've actually decided that they're effectively opting out of, of NHS care. Um, I don't know if it's then appropriate to get your, your medical defence unions or others involved at that stage because obviously you're getting into clinical risk territory, which I'm not really in a position to to advise upon. I mean, I know it's related to the data, but it's related to the use of it and the provision of care to the individual. Um, and getting out of screening and things is, is, is a significant clinical risk. So mm. I don't know, Lisa, if you've got any other thoughts so on the, that. Yeah, Lisa one. or Ed, do you yeah. have a here? Ed may, may want to come in. I think we have had a couple of contacts from practices where they've had that very difficult situation. And as Adam says, effectively it's almost become becomes impossible to provide them with a full range of, you know, general medical services because it becomes impossible to link them into things like screening so there's a need and and from a sort of um practice perspective to have a conversation with them to make sure they really do understand the implications of not doing that and i think absolutely have a com- conversation with your medical defense organization because um it's it's fraught with difficulties in, in terms of they're not really accessing the full range of care that they may need Yes, and I think somebody, um, so a couple of comments. Please can we have a step-by-step guide for practice managers? This is all becoming basically like a rabbit warren and there, there is a lot of information out there, but the find, trying to find the right information at the right time is really hard. And Jan's just saying, can we send me something and this is causing me issues and the individual is getting no care. So obviously it's anxiety for the um, for the patient's point of view as well. But you might, it sounds like the medical defence union might be the person, uh, organisation might be the place to, to go to get. Louise, we can pick that up with Jan sort of off. Yeah, outside there. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, there is a little bit of guidance in the GMC confidentiality guidance, which is section 31. I've got it here. It says, and this is patients objecting to share information for their own care, which in terms of screening and sort of spine compliance is, is the case. You should explain to the patient the potential consequences of a decision not to allow personal information to be shared with others. You should also consider the patient whether any compromise can be reached. If after a discussion, patient has capacity to make the decision still object to the disclosure, that you are convinced is essential to provide safe care, you should explain you cannot refer them or otherwise arrange for their treatment without disclosing their information. So GMC guidance actually says in those circumstances, they are saying you should, if the individual is using their right to object, you could potentially on that basis overrule it. Okay, we've had a comment in, um, Adam. We've had this before with the patient not wanting to be constipated. Anyone were advised by registry and having them by having an NHS number, a patient is opting in to certain NHS care, such as screening. The only option is to deregister from any practice. And that is effectively, I think, what it does get into if that's how far they wish to, to go with it, wow. which of course has a lot more wider implications than, than just a little bit of data protection, really. Yeah. So, um, yeah, gosh. I think I think it is that impact, and it? it's just you know. Hopefully, this is information that we generally don't need to to know too much about, or it functions fairly smoothly. It's those really difficult um, cases where it's a real um, impact on direct patient care. That's the difficulty. And I think, I think this is why you know a webinar is great. You can have that interactive questions where it's uh, it's really hard to get across in a in an email mm, or various links. Um, so um, just. Um, one of our um, delegates is just trying to summarise. So on patients registering, they only need to be offered the opt-out of type 1 and the GDPR objection. I would say they don't need to be offered anything at all. What you need to let them know is basically, I mean, I would always advise that on a patient registration for a new patient, if you've got anything in your sort of patient handbook or registration forms, et cetera, that gives a, either a link to your fair processing policy or privacy notice, et cetera, that it's there that you should explain how as an organisation you use data and that then, yeah, well, that would get into a little bit of detail about the objections and, and highlight that they are there, but it's not a question you need to say, you've got this choice, you've got that choice. It's more if they've got concerns, then those are the options open to be explored further. Um, your choice, of course, as organisations, but certainly... The, the GDPR, for example, says you need to make people aware of what their data protection rights are. And one of the rights, obviously, is, is objection to that state. But that can be, say, just and typically as part of a fair processing notice to say, this is what we do with your data. Have a read of this. If you've got concerns, here's the summary of your rights, et cetera. Um, let us know if you've got anything you want to discuss. Um, I think the scary bit is when they say, yes, I do want to discuss it. And then you feel like you just don't have the knowledge to discuss it and um, i think people feel a little bit vulnerable there's, there's so much to get your head around isn't there that, that is one of the problems with this because it's grown up in so many different shapes and forms over the years there's so much it's not a question of finding guidance on the internet it's finding the right bit and the best bit because um, there's loads of it out there um dpos again should be a source of advice and guidance on this to, to sort of advertise their service um they should know pretty much everything i know on, on that basis so yeah i would and always use them if you're not already maybe some um maybe some um Few sentences for the staff to be aware of, so sort of in, increase their their awareness, their, their knowledge, and their confidence. I think a lot of the, this now is a is a lack of confidence in the area, isn't it? Because it is feeling so overwhelming, complicated. Um, okay, is there anything we haven't got any more questions coming in on that? I don't know whether um, 
uh, one more. Until they need a COVID vaccine, they don't have an NHS number. Oh, yes, they've had a couple change their minds last year because suddenly there was a good reason for it. Yes, it's a whole different thing, isn't it? Thank you, David. Okay, so I think probably, Adam, sorry, that was a little bit um, intense, wasn't it, for you? Lots and lots of questions coming, which weren't so straightforward, but that was fantastic. Thank you so much. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll stick that as a separate little podcast in itself. So if, if you have members of your staff that you'd like to just hear that conversation and hear the discussion, which should be useful, we'll look, keep sending out more information. We'll keep updating our web pages, but we do know it's just a complicated subject. I um, say just... Louise, as a follow-up, I say from one of the other share care records I'm working on, we've got to create a little bit of guidance for their GPs around which codes to use for opt-out, so I'll share that with you guys. Yes, um, so you can then put it on your website or share it where you need to as well, because why, why shouldn't one area get it when all the others can have it too? Yes, please. Share, share with anything. That's lovely. Thank you so much, Adam. So I think we come to the end of our webinar for today. So thank you so much, Adam. It's great to have you with us. So take care. Thanks again, everybody. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.